that stress led me down a road of almost a breakdown in my kitchen in front of my wife, which I've never done before because I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders and these 22 employees were looking at me that found out what was going on and said, now what? Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'll be your worst podcast host today. And I'm here with featured guest, Mike C-Rock. Mike, are you ready to rock? Of course, I'm always ready to rock, man. I'm a pro, like I told you before. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mike sent me an email and it said, don't worry, I'm a pro. So let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. So Mike Siraco is the CEO of People Building Inc. He's a performance coach, author, dynamic public speaker, visionary, and thought leader. He has been featured by Yahoo Finance as one of the top business leaders to follow in 2020 and is on a mission, get this, to build people. At his core, he's obsessed with success and having others achieve greatness. C-Rock is a guy who had a fire lit in him at an early age, and I suspect we're going to learn a little bit about that. And that fire has led him to inspire others to see the greatness inside of themselves using past life events to fuel their fire. Mike, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, Andrew. We connected via LinkedIn. And guys, if you're listening to this, networking via LinkedIn is fantastic. You just have to take action and reach out to people. And then also invest in people. You know, I, I saw your show on there and I said, let me, let me give it a listen. And then I give you feedback. And when I did that, by the way, how did that make you feel? It's, it's great for me. I mean, I like feedback. <laughs> right. And so people yeah. don't realize that the power of feedback to people, right? So, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there. That's it's a little tip that go out of your way to give people feedback on the hard work that they're doing and mm. watch the magic happen. Yeah. So anyway, Andrew, I come from a broken home. As a kid, I don't remember my family together, my parents together, or anything like that, and which I thought when I was growing up that that was normal. And you know, when, when I was living with my dad from the age of eight to 11, after breaking my mom's heart and deciding to go on a journey and try to live with my dad full time, I went through a little phase there for three years. I don't know the whole story because I was a kid. All I know is I felt like it was a volatile environment, not healthy, not a place that you could be happy and grow. And again, I didn't know the word culture back then, but I just knew it wasn't the right thing after dealing with some emotional and psychological abuses, you know, it just wasn't the right place. So I decided to tell my mom to get me out of there. So she filed court papers and I used to come home, do the every other weekend thing. So I was going over these hills in Pennsylvania, Southeastern mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. And I was heading home after a weekend with my mom and my stomach would always be in knots and I'd get real anxious as an eight. 11 year old kids somewhere in that age range mm. my mom said man there's something wrong with what's the matter and i didn't want to tell her but it wasn't a healthy place to be as a kid and i knew that so i had to make an exit strategy so i told her to file court papers to get me out my dad got these court papers one day when i came home from school and he had them in his hand and i knew what they were but i didn't want to admit to it and he said go in your room so i sat in my room for five minutes probably but it felt like five days and I was waiting for him to come in. And he says, you know what's in this envelope, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, you know, do you want to move back with your mom? You know they don't have it that well there. 
And I know this show is about investments. My mom wasn't that well off. My dad was. My dad had a masonry mm. company, successful masonry company. He always carried a wad of $100 bills around in his pocket with a rubber band around it. I guess that's where he invested his money, his pocket. But as a kid, I looked up to him, Andrew. I looked up to him for money. I, I didn't know mm. what – it wasn't about the paper, but it was $100 bills always looked cool, the Benjamin mm. on it. Yep. And what we got with money meant something to me as a kid, trips, what have you. So – you know, when he asked me, you sure you want to do that? You sure you want to leave here and go to your mother's house where they don't have it that good? You know, I said to my, for a second, I had to sit there and think and I said, my mom, I could hear her voice in the back of my head. Stick to your guns. They're going to try to talk you out of it. Stick to your guns. And I carry that lesson forward today, by the way. Mm-hmm. So when I told him, yes, you know, I, I got to get out of here. It's just not an environment that I, I want to be in anymore. I love you to death, but it's just not the place for me. He whipped out the wad of $100 bills and he peels one off and crumbles it up and throws it at me. He says, well, if that's the case, here, you're going to need this when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. And as an 11-year-old kid, if you can imagine your hero or who you thought was your hero at that time, basically throwing in the towel on you. That $100 bill resembled the trainer in a boxing match throwing in the towel for the fighter. And, you know, at that moment, I thought two things. One, I thought to myself, there is no way – I'm going to need that $100 and no way I'm going to let you win with that comment. Stubborn, stubborn me. And number two, I said to myself, I cannot be the only one going through this. See, you remember, I thought this was an ordinary lifestyle. Mm. Parents broke up every other weekend, child support, custody battles. I thought it was normal. I didn't know any different. I thought to myself, I can't be the only one in this situation. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to survive. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to be great. And then I'm going to show other people by doing that being a role model that you can go through whatever you go through and use it to be the reason you succeed, not the reason that you fail. Hmm. And so that's a fire that was lit into me. I didn't really become aware of it. I was always feeding off of it through high school for sports and school and my jobs and my businesses. Didn't realize it until about two to three years ago. I started to realize my purpose. And I found the fact that I've been riding this for so long, I haven't shared this story. And once I shared the story one time, I was blown away by the feedback that I got. And so this fire has been in me for a long time. And now that I'm aware of it though, man, everything's changed. Mm. And so now that what I do is I look for opportunities to use setbacks as fuel, I say rocket fuel for my future. So how this relates to investments, you know, there's things that happen in business investments, stocks, real estate, whatever you invest in that will set you back. Sometimes you'll go all the way to zero. But if you understand that no matter what happens to you, as long as your eyes open every morning and you can breathe, it's not the end. Mm. And what I always look at is setbacks, no matter what it is, if you got there once, the second time will be just as easy or easier because you know. Can you tell us again what you say about rocket fuel? I want the audience to hear that very clearly. Yeah. So the what are you made of movement that I started and the podcast that I have is all about one dominating rule. And that's to turn setbacks, letdowns, and any negativity, even people's chatter or people giving up on you, you turn it into rocket fuel for your future. And the bigger the setback, the bigger the fall, the, the, the bigger the explosion out. And so I look for setbacks. I look for bigger opportunities. And when they happen, I get to act really accepting and acknowledging the setback as soon as possible so that I can prepare and launch for my takeoff. So as soon as I became aware of this, my life was never the same. And mm-hmm. I teach this to my students and my, my clients. 
Well, I think it's, you know, for the listeners out there, it's a great, I mean, I, I heard you say it in a previous podcast I listened to, the idea of using, you know, past setbacks and negativity and all that as rocket fuel. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, rocket fuel is just not any fuel. It is super powerful fuel. And definitely, I think the whole world is in a situation right now where we are full and facing tremendous setbacks. Everybody individually in their businesses and i think that this this you inspire me and i think you inspire the listeners to think about what is that setback that you are going to let light you know light you on fire and be your rocket fuel to send you to the next level i know you know one of the things that for me in my business is that you know i kind of decided that for a few months i just couldn't i probably wasn't going to be able to close any corporate clients because I just knew everything's kind of shut down. But I knew that individuals are still have cash and individuals still want to learn. And so I spent months, the last three months, you know, reshaping all my online courses and getting them out to the market and improving them. And it really, I mean, it took a lot of effort, but you know, I was at home, I was able to use my home office and really focus in and it was rocket fuel. And now I've got five, my five online courses out there that are growing and improving every day. And it really was the rocket fuel. So I think for the listener out there, let's take your inspiration and let's all think about what is the rocket fuel? What is the event or the, the pain or the suffering that we've faced that is going to be our rocket fuel? <laughs> right on, man. That's exactly it. Exactly love it, it. Love it. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So I worked for a company that I basically ran a profit and loss, a P&L under. And my partner and I were running it and we started to add employees as we, as we went. And we started to have pretty good success where money was starting to come in and we didn't want to basically take the money out of the business. We wanted to keep it in the business to help scale the business out. And that money was basically in a company account that wasn't our company. We weren't owners of the company, but because I was running a P&L under the company, it was our money, but not officially. <laughs> so now there's a lot of lessons to be learned here, but mm. the company was owned by a buddy of mine's uncle-in-law. So I thought we were secure there, you know, again, assuming that we were good. And we had paperwork that said that the profits of the company go to us. But the thing is, assumptions are really bad. And I was at a conference, Grant Cardone 10X Growth Conference in February, and John Travolta was speaking. And John Travolta said one of the biggest lessons and pieces of advice he could leave with us was not to ever assume anything. And assumptions got me in big trouble. And so when we were in this company, we were there for about 12 years. We built it up and we had close to a million dollars in this account that we were going to use to scale the business because we had big plans. And I think big, like I don't mm. go little anything. We go big. I'm not going to sit there and just try to be average and mediocre. We got to keep going big time. And with these big goals, you know, you're going to need money. So we wanted to invest in the company and keep it in there. So after a while, we started to find out that there was money going missing in the business that we were doing, little skims off the top that were coming around. And we confirmed that at one point. And to make a long story short, when we, once we confirmed that, we had to figure out, we had 22 employees at that time. And we were, I felt responsible for those 22 employees. I felt responsible for their families that relied on me and they bought into my vision and they were following me every single day. I felt responsible to them. 
And when we found out the things that were happening, I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. I was trying to figure out a way to exit because I don't play golf with people for money if I see them kicking their ball out of the rough for those <laughs> yeah. few golfers that understand that, basically cheating. And so I had to create an exit strategy that was one, not going to get me in trouble and is going to be legal, two, protect our investment, and three, take care of the employees that were relying on us. So this happened over months, a few months, a period of time. And we still had contracts out, deals out that we had to get paid on and still close down and a lot of moving parts. Well, I was going through stress. I lost 20 pounds in roughly three weeks. Coming home, wore out. The culture of the company that we we're in in the first place, which I take 100% responsibility for, was not where it should be. And so that stress led me down a road of almost a breakdown in my kitchen in front of my wife, which I've never done before because I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. And these 22 employees were looking at me that found out what was going on and said, now what? And I felt that all eyes were on me and I had to make a decision that was going to benefit the whole because I don't ever do things just for myself. And so here we are with the money in the account, not sure how we're going to get the money out of the account, doing it the right way, taking care of the employees at the same time and making sure they're paid. And if we did switch into a different platform, a different company, how could we keep paying them and still pay our bills and take care of our family? So we ended up, by the way, finding another company and the transition happened. And I lived off of minimum wage with my partners like an entrepreneur does, mm. make sure your people are paid, the business can keep running. But for six months, I lived on $2,000 a month and savings that I had. And that investment, I don't think, see, see we, we're, we're talking about the worst investment ever, right? Well, that yep. money that we invested in this company, we lost. But I got to tell you, Andrew, the, the actuality of it, I don't know that now we're talking, I don't think this was the worst investment of my life. <laughs> because... When I look at things, again, my philosophy is setbacks are rocket fuel, right? Yep. Well, that was the biggest setback. Yep. I would say it was the biggest setback, but actually investment, it wasn't because the rocket fuel that we got out of it, the lessons that we learned, the energy, the motivation, the determination that came from it actually might have made it the best investment. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever had a guest that tells you the worst no. investment turns into the best investment. No, we may need to rename the show my <laughs> worst setback ever that fueled me to my success. <laughs> yeah, but, because here's the I love thing, what the you're lesson, saying. Yep. Yeah, the lesson that came from it, yeah, the money was gone. And basically, that's the investment into the lesson, yep. into the positive energy. And so here's the other thing. So the owner of this company didn't give us the money that we were owed. And I didn't feel like fighting a court battle over it because you never know if you're going to win for sure or not. Yep, There's yep. always might be a loophole and then you got attorney fees. Instead, I thought, you know what? Let's use this as the reason that we're going to blow up this new business and absolutely destroy the numbers that we've done before and I'll show him. Now, I know that's not always the right thing to do and the positive thing to do, but it was better than suing him. Yep. <laughs> and so I used it as motivation and I used it as a battle cry for my team. Mm. And we went from doing $4 million a month to $32 million a month in a matter of two years. And my team has bought in more than ever. They've all made more money than they've ever made in their life. I'm on fire right now. We're only a quarter of the way to the goal that we set, mm. which is $100 million. Well, yep. a third of the way to $100 million. And it was all because of that worst investment, quote unquote, yep. that we wow. made. So let's, let's now, as you look back on it, let's look at the lessons that you learned from it. So, you know, that's the other thing that comes from it, right? The lessons, mm. right? You buy the lessons. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I look at. 
But, you know, so one of the lessons that I learned from it is you got to be careful and don't assume anything. Don't trust, just don't trust that it's family or friend in business. Yep. But the thing is, if I would have done it the other way, mm. I wouldn't have this, this fuel. So I don't yeah. know. It's kind of ironic, right? Yeah. But, you know, the, the assumption, one, don't trust family and friends as far as business goes and, and just leave it to that. Make sure it's, you know, you have ironclad paper, some kind of document that, that it's, you know, yep. definitely shows that that money's yours. Mm. The other thing is culture. And I'm going to tell you why culture is important in this scenario specifically. There was a lot of things that went on. That's a short story of a long story, right? Mm. There's a lot of things that went on in that. There was individuals on our team that were faced with decisions and when they were faced with these decisions, they chose the decision that they thought would help them, mm. even though it hurt the team. Right. And so culture, when you have a great culture at a company or a group, individuals will look out for the greater good first and then themselves. Yep. And that was a problem in that company. And, you know, I basically took on and said that producers that produce – Keep them around even if they're not buying into the culture and they're not following the, the guidelines that we set and the expectations that we set. And that was a wrong move, being held over a barrel basically. And I'll never do that again. I'll go to myself and work as a solopreneur before I would ever let anybody do that. I don't care how much they produce. So those, I think, that are the main yep. lessons that I learned in that. I'm sure there's others. But yep. the other thing is, again, I look for setbacks. Like mm. this whole rocket fuel thing came from that particular scenario. Yep. Let me ask you a little bit more to explain a little bit more about this idea of if a salesperson, as an example, they're, they're a rainmaker, they're bringing in money. We need revenue in our company, but yet we know that their behaviors don't really fit our overall mission of where we're going. How does a business person deal with that? I mean, that takes guts. It's hard. It's, it could ruin you in your mind, you know, when you think about it. Just curious, how do you think about that now? It's only hard because people lack knowledge. Leaders lack, they don't know something. Mm. Okay. And then insecurity sets in and insecurity is only present when there's knowledge lacking. So if you know what to do, it's not hard. Right. If you know what to do, you're not insecure. So here's the thing. I know now I didn't know then. And what I knew is what I know is, is that you need to first establish a link or some kind of alignment between the business goals and visions yep. and the individual's business, I'm sorry, the goals and visions. And basically it's their personal, professional, financial goals. Right. Their individual goals need to align with the company. If they don't, you're going to have conflict and it's not going to work no matter how much they produce. They'll produce for a period of time and then it'll fall. Mm. Or they'll cause problems that are going to cost more than the revenue they're bringing into the company. Yep. So that alignment thing up front and being very transparent of what is expected of people and making sure there's alignment there. That's the key. Yep. And when you have that, and then you have accountability after you set expectations, changes everything. Mm. Now, if you're in a situation where I'm telling you this and it's the first time you heard it and you don't know how to do it. And now you're thinking, okay, how can I implement this? I already have producers that aren't buying in. They're not doing this. Well, one thing is, is that it's to me, what you do is you bring people in you start bringing people in and you should always be recruiting. You should always be interviewing. You should always be looking for good talent. That should never stop. It shouldn't be a time when you need it. You should always be doing it. And you bring people in and you start indoctrinating them into what your visions and goals are. And you set the expectations and you let the people know that are there. I'm bringing more people in. Here's what we're doing. This is what's going to be expected. If you're not doing that, you can go work somewhere else. 
because this is the way we're going to be doing things now. And you mm-hmm. have to be willing. You have to be willing to go to zero. Right. <laughs> you <laughs> have to the- be willing to burn the ships and say, this is because otherwise you're going to live your life, Andrew. Yep. Miserable. Yep. You're going to be going home at night, wore down like a wet sock and doing it over and over again, like Groundhog's Day. And you got to basically put your foot down, draw a line in the sand and say, this is the way it's going to be and be willing to do it on your own if you have to. And that's how you create a great culture. That's very helpful. Let me summarize some of the things I took away from your story. And I'm going to start with this go to zero first. And then I've got two other things that it makes me think of. But when I was 17, basically, I managed to make it through three different drug rehabs and somehow remarkably stayed clean and through 12-step programs and all that and have been clean from then until today. So we're talking about almost 29 years or so. And one of the things that I can say is when I left the, the final treatment center, I was in a, actually in a seven-month long-term treatment center because I was kind of messed up. <laughs> and when I left that place, my mom, in particular my mom, led this more probably than my dad. But my mom was like, well, you're going to be 18 soon and you're going to need to move out and be on your own. And I thought, ah, this is just not right. I mean, I've done everything right. I've gone through all the rehabs. I'm doing well. Why can't I, you know, but she's like, nope, this is how it's going to be. You've, you know, we're not going to live through your relapse or anything like that. You've got to go out and make it. Now, when I talk to my mom today, we talk about how, you know, how did you know I was going to make it? You were kicking me out of the nest. But, you know, I, my mom knew kind of what I could handle. But I left that, I left home and I remember my dad helping me pack up. And I just had a couple boxes. I left the rest kind of in a room at my parents' house. And I took a couple boxes to this house that I rented a room in at Kent, near Kent State in Ohio. My dad took me there and it was $120 for that room. And I brought in this box with my dad, we put it down and then he left and I just sobbed. I mean, I just sobbed on my knees like, oh my God, this is terrifying. And then next morning, you know, I got up on my little moped that I had and I, I rode it to a factory that I worked at an hour away and I worked all day. And then I rode that motorcycle, a little, little moped back to the place. And then I went to an AA meeting at that time, you know, with my friends and, you know, we had a great time. And then every night I would be hanging out with my friends that were all clean. And, you know, I had no money. I mean, nothing. I was living on minimum wage, but you know what? I was so happy. I had found, you know, sobriety. I'd found a clean life. I had great friends. I was, I was living a great life. And I always go back in the 1997 crisis that happened in Asia. The center of that crisis was Thailand. And I had just started a business with my best friend, you know, one, one or two years before. And then next thing you know, everything collapses. We're living in a factory in a jungle outside of Bangkok. And, you know, I had another time where we basically were about to lose that business. And then my sister called to say that her cancer came back. Please come home because I'm not going to make it more than a month or two. And at that moment, when I hung up that phone, Dale and I, my best friend here, who started the company with me, you know, we just looked at each other and cried. And I thought, but I thought to myself, you know, wait a minute, I've lost everything before. I've had nothing before. And I had happiness. And that carried me, and it reminds me of it when you talked about you've got to be willing to go to zero. At the core, we can survive. And I did have times where I had to go to the church to try to get some canned goods and stuff like that. But lesson number one that I learned from this is 
you know, you've got to be willing and understand that going to zero is actually, you know, it's painful, but you can survive from zero. So that's my first takeaway. My second one is payroll. Never, ever, ever miss payroll. As you said, you know, taking care of your people means never missing payroll. And, you know, that business that we started in 1995 now is 25 years old and it's a coffee roasting factory. And for 25 years, we've never missed payroll through the, all the ups and downs. We knew we never miss payroll. So that's a critical, critical thing that you remind me of. And the last thing is something. Well, let me, before you go on the last one, can I say something yeah. on that? Yeah. Your people and your company are your investments. Like too many people think that, that, that people are people and they're just yes. workers. And to me, I look at them as people. I look at them as family. But in a business sense, you're investing in these people and they should give you a return on your investment. And each year, they're worth X amount of dollars to, their, to what they provide to the business. Yep. Again, I don't want people to take that the wrong way because I really care about people yep. and I believe in developing your people. But people building is similar to having an investment in real estate and taking care of that real estate or your stock market portfolio or whatever the case is, people are similar investments. So, so when you say that, yeah. making payroll, you would never, anybody that's smart investor in real estate would never let the property you know, go to waste. So I teach finance and I've taught finance now all my life. And that's one of the things I love to do in my free time. And so here's a little challenge. The problem is you were talking about how you manage a P&L. So we have a profit and loss and we have a balance sheet. The balance sheet's where our assets are and profit and loss is where our revenue and our expenses are. So where do people show up? They do not show up on the balance sheet as an asset. They show up on the P&L as an expense. Mm -hmm. So some people, you know, they look at people as an expense. But when I talk to my students and I say, so are employees an asset or are they expense? There's nobody would say they're an expense. They all say they're your number one asset. And it's important thing lesson to remember is that financial statements are created by accountants. They're just accounting constructs. But ultimately, when we think about creating value, we think about the economic activity. And absolutely, human capital is, you know, a huge asset. So never get that confused. And then the last thing that I, that I learned and listened about was about the idea of culture. And, you know, one thing that's interesting about living in Thailand, when I first came here, Mike, I was asked to teach an MBA course. And I, I really didn't have that much knowledge or experience, but I said, okay, what the heck? So I taught this MBA course. And my first thing I did is I said, okay, we're going to break up in groups and I'm going to give you group assignments, just like we did at MBA when I was in the US. And, you know, at the end of that first class, that first semester, I realized something really interesting. And that is, why do... MBA courses do group projects. It's because Americans don't get along with each other. They're all built individually. So you've got to try to do more group work to get them to work together. But Thai people are built around a culture where they work together. So in fact, what I learned is that my Thai students needed individual assignments to challenge them to think individually on those things. And then I learned, you know, there's a huge difference between Thai culture and the US culture, and that's part of it. And then the idea, I always, I always mistrusted the idea of individual KPIs and the big companies have KPIs for every single thing. And what I learned is that in fact, 
the alignment of how do we make sure that everybody in this company is working towards helping each other to achieve this main huge goal of where we want to be. There's not one startup out there that was built upon KPIs of individuals competing against each other. You know, it was built through teamwork. Now at the, at the corporate level, that's what corporates do. You know, everybody's got their KPI. They've got hundreds and hundreds of hours a year. Mm -hmm. They spend tracking these things. And this is a major advantage that small companies have is getting that team together and aligned as you talked about with the right alignment and with all that passion together, never be afraid of big companies because this is a power that small companies have that can always defeat these behemoths. So that's my last lesson. Anything you'd add? Well, I can tell you that small companies can become big companies at some point, right? So I would always, no matter what business it is, always start with culture. That's your foundation. And if you can start a big company with a great culture from the start, you'll be unstoppable. There's nothing that can stop a company with great culture. You can create your own economy in that case. The COVID can be a reason that you succeed rather than fail. It creates a mindset that can defeat pretty much anything. And so, yeah, that's the last thought on that. <laughs> Exciting. Man, you just set me on fire. I feel like someone just put some rocket fuel <laughs> around me. And I, I, I just literally, literally, my, I just get excited talking to you. And I'm thinking about the thing that I'm working on right now. And I just can't wait to get on that and let this rocket fuel, you know, fuel me. So now, based on what you learn from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? One action, besides my dominating rule of understanding that, that turning setbacks into rocket fuel, I would say the first and most important thing to me every day that I wake up in the morning is gratitude. I can't say this enough, and I know it's become cliche, but one thing that's changed my life, Andrew, is when I wake up in the morning and open my eyes, this will sound corny as hell, but I wiggle my fingers and I wiggle my toes and I thank I believe in God. I thank mm. whatever you believe in, but be thankful that you have the hands and the feet if you have hands and feet. Some people don't have hands and feet. I blink my eyes, make sure I can see. I breathe. I, I listen. I hum a little bit, make sure I have my voice. And I really literally every single morning go through this exercise. And the reason I tell you this is not to tell you a cliche about gratitude. The reason I tell you this is because it's changed my life personally. And when something works for me, I have to share it. And this has created a situation where I had nothing to complain about. Mm. Everything that I usually back in the day would complain about or have something to say about or not want to get out of bed about disappears. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a magic trick. And if you try it and you get consistent with it, it will change your life. So I'll leave you with that. That's beautiful. And for the audience out there, you know, think about how you can bring that into your life. It's not a complicated thing. You just wake up and wiggle your toes and wiggle your fingers and get started. I have a morning routine and the truth is I'm going to add that into it and refocus on gratitude. Well, and, and now's a great time to do it. And Andrew, a friend of mine, Brad Lee says, he told a story about a billion dollars. They'll give you a billion dollars, but you only get one more day to live would you take the billion dollars? <laughs> and I've never met a person that said they would. No way. So that must mean that waking up in the next morning must be worth more than a billion dollars to you. Yeah. So yeah. why do people have problems waking up and getting out of bed? It's and I got to give credit with credit's due. Bradley said that. Love it. So. It's priceless. This day is priceless. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? 
My number one goal for the next 12 months, I'm writing a book. It's going to be out towards the end of this year. It's called Rocket Fuel. We just recently changed that too, by the way, because our podcast is named What Are You Made Of? And we changed the book name to Rocket Fuel. And I'm writing this and I'm excited to get this out because I want to inject, I want that feeling that you said you had, man. Mm -hmm. I want to give that to people. I want people to feel energized when they're around me and feel like I'm showing them greatness they don't even know they have. And I'm putting them on track to get there. So this book, I'm fired up to get out towards the end of this year. And it's, you know, I don't write a book to write a book. I want to have impact, but also, you know, I'm writing a bestseller. (laughs) I just, I just call it as it is. And I envision it ahead of time that I'm writing a bestseller and I'm fired up about that. So that's my number one goal for the rest of this year. So, you know, I have to, I have to apologize, but you know, I'm not going to call you C-Rock anymore. I'm just going to call you Mike Rocket Fuel. Middle name, (laughs) Rocket. Last name, Fuel. I love it. (laughs) All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, go to myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Mike, Rocket, Fuel, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. I say brave because when I ask most people to come on the show, they say, no, Andrew. I'd prefer to talk about my winners. So I want to congratulate you for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yes. uh, Free copy of the book to your audience. If they go to the Mike C rock with no K the Mike C rock.com. Fantastic. Subscribe there. They can have access to that when it comes out at the end of this year. Fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotts, your worst podcast host, saying I'll see you on the upside.